Hello, my name is Geoffrey White. I'm the Senior Astronomy Educator at Sydney Observatory. I'm going to be talking to you about what's visible in the sky for the month of March. And this sky guide and audio guide are available from our website at www.sydneyobservatory.com. For more information about the night sky, we also recommend that you purchase your 2010 copy of the Australian Sky Guide by Dr. Nick Long. For any night viewing activity, there is a simple list of equipment that you really need to have with you to make your viewing not only effective, but comfortable. Being March, it's still lovely and warm, but I think you still need a blanket to sit on, a pair of binoculars, a pillow, and as I've already mentioned, the Australian Sky Guide. You also need to find your way around the night sky. Now, most children are familiar with never eat soggy wheat picks to help remember their cardinal directions. Being March, we're quite lucky because the sun is setting almost due west, and it certainly is on the equinox. So if you're facing due west at sunset, uh, to your right will be north, to your left will be the south, and directly behind you will be east. You also need to be able to measure various angles, because quite often astronomers talk about the position of an object in the sky as being north by northwest and 45 or 50 degrees above the horizon. So we need a little bit of practice there. There is a fairly easy way of doing this. When we are looking at something in the sky, we like to give its direction in terms of position from north and also altitude or height above the horizon. Now, if you hold your clenched fist at arm's length, for most adults, that's about 10 degrees in size. Of course, if you're a big fellow like me, it may be a little bit more. But on average, a clenched fist at arm's length is about 10 degrees. So if something is 20 degrees above the horizon, it'll be two clenched fists above the horizon. If you spread your fingers, the distance from your pinky to your thumb is usually about 15 degrees for the average person. A pinky held at arm's length is about one degree or twice the size of the full moon. There is also something else that you need for when you are trying to find your way around the night sky, and that is, of course, imagination. One thing you can do is to practice using your imagination. Have a child, a niece or a nephew, doesn't matter who, draw a very simple stick figure based on dot to dot. Then look at that, let your imagination go, and then you may be able to see some of the creatures and characters that we have in the sky. If you're trying to see the very elaborate drawings that we often see in star atlases, forget it, it's not going to happen. Simple stick figures, on the other hand, with lots of imagination, then no problem. What we're going to do for March is start by looking to the west shortly after sunset and look about or ever so slightly to your right and that will take us towards the northwest. About 23 degrees or a handspan and a clenched fist above the horizon, look for a V-shaped group of stars on its side and look for one star which is a slightly orange-reddish colour at the top of the V. This setting constellation is Taurus the Bull. Taurus the Bull is one of the oldest constellations that we know of. As I mentioned earlier, you do actually need to have one of our star maps with you to help identify some of these patterns. But if you look at the map, you'll see the V-shaped head of Taurus the Bull, and that'll help you with the rest of the constellation. But a bull in the sky? Why is there a bull in the sky? Well, it's quite simple, really. We've probably depended upon the bull as a beast of burden, or in fact as a source of food for thousands upon thousands of years. So it's fairly understandable that a bull would find its way into the sky. And by the way, it also, for some cultures, represents the king of the ancient Roman gods, Jupiter.
Now, you won't be able to make out the whole bullet this time because it's setting quite shortly after sunset. But you will be able to see the V-shaped head, and then if you join the dots, you'll be able to see the long horns, which to many people represent a sign of fertility. Now, depending upon your age and your eyesight, you should be able to see between 1,500 and 2,000 stars on any clear night. By joining the dots and making these constellations, it's much easier to find your way around. I challenge anybody to be able to identify and remember 2,000 individual pinpoints of light. So constellations are, in fact, simply a memory aid. One of the oldest star maps dates back nearly 2,000 years to Claudius Ptolemy. Ptolemy devised a star chart made up of 48 constellations in all. And we still have all of them today. However, we've broken one of them up into a, a number of smaller constellations as it was so big. And we also finished naming the rest of the sky only in 1930, when the smallest of all constellations, the Southern Cross, came into official existence. Of course, people had been calling it the Southern Cross for hundreds of years, but only officially did it become one in 1930. You know, the best way to think of constellations is that they are simply... Well, I suppose you'd call them suburbs in the sky, and it gives you a hand to find the general direction. Now that we've found the head and the horns of Taurus the bull, what we're going to do is go about two clenched fists up, and you'll be able to see another fairly bright reddish-orange star. This is one of the more interesting stars in the night sky. Its name? Betelgeuse. Yes, its name has changed over the years, but it is in fact a dying star, the brightest star in the constellation of Orion the Hunter. Betelgeuse is about 427 light years away and nearly 1,000 times bigger than the Sun. And that introduces two things we need to think about quite carefully. Stars are different sizes. Some are much bigger than the Sun and some are much smaller. The Sun, in fact, is a fairly average kind of star. The other thing to remember is that stars are different distances away. When we are sitting on the grass on our hill with our clear view, looking up at the heavens, enjoying the show, the stars look like they're all at the same distance. And for a long time, people were convinced that stars were in fact holes in the celestial sphere that let in the light from heaven. We now know, of course, that each one of those stars is a big, hot ball of gas and all of them, of course, much further away than the sun. So Betelgeuse at 427 light years away, what does that mean? It tells us that the light from that star has been travelling to us at the speed of light for 427 years. When you look at the star, you are, in effect, looking back in time. Orion's brighter star, Betelgeuse, is also very big, about 1,000 times the diameter of the sun. Now don't forget, the Sun is also very large at about 114 times the diameter of the Earth. It really does put into perspective just how big our universe is. Betelgeuse, this lovely orange-reddish star that we are looking at, actually represents the armpit of the hunter. Not a particularly nice way of considering such a bright and beautiful star. Now, according to the ancients, it was in fact the armpit, but these days we've tidied it up a little bit and we call it the shoulder of the giant. Now, looking for a hunter or a giant in the sky can be a little difficult, but if you look at the Australian Sky Guide printable map, you should be able to see a stick figure of a hunter. But let me tell you, most Australians, when they look at this part of the sky, don't see a hunter. We actually see a saucepan. 
Yes, the humble saucepan that lives in the kitchen has replaced the hunter. Well, unofficially, of course. The three base stars of the saucepan are in fact Orion's belt. They're quite famous because they lie pretty much on the celestial equator and you get a fairly good view of these stars pretty much from north and south of the equator. If you look at the three base stars of the saucepan, depending on the time of year, it can be the right way up or in fact upside down. From one corner of the saucepan you go up to the side and on the other side you go up and then you'll find three stars at an angle. This in fact forms the handle of the saucepan. If you've got a good pair of binoculars and you'll need a very good tripod or wedge them up against the building with a pillow to keep them still and comfortable, if you look at the three stars that form the handle of the saucepan, you'll be able to see that the middle star is not quite star-like. In fact, it's cloudy, fuzzy or nebulous. What you're looking at is in fact the birthplace of stars. This very famous group of baby stars wrapped in a cocoon of gas and dust is called a nebula by the name of M42. M42 simply means it's the 42nd object in the catalogue devised by Charles Messier. So the M comes from his surname and it's the 42nd object that he catalogued. It is perhaps one of the finest things you can look at through a telescope or through a small pair of binoculars. If you look up a little bit higher into the sky from Orion, you'll actually see one astoundingly bright star. This is in fact in the northwestern sky at the moment, and it is the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog. The star, well, it's called Sirius. Sirius is quite an interesting star. Not only is it the brightest star in the night sky, but it's one of the closest. It's not the closest, that would be the Sun. And then there's a few more that we'll get to a little bit later. This star is actually 8.7 light years away. Once again, that means that as we see it tonight, the picture that you see was as it was 8.7 years ago. It is a big, bright, hot, young star. Sirius is a very important historical star too, because long time ago the Egyptians used its position in the morning sky in relation to the rising sun to calculate the length of the year. They worked out thousands of years ago that the length of the year was 365 and a quarter days in something that we call heliacal rise, an incredibly important thing and accurate thing to do a long time ago. So you can see, stars are not only beautiful, but they're actually quite useful. You may have also heard the name Sirius before in a few other places. Of course, one of the ships in the first fleet to come to Australia was HMS Sirius, and now because of the novels and the movies of Harry Potter, you may have heard of the character Sirius Black, who can change from a human into a dog. This, of course, relates back to the idea that Sirius is the brightest star in the constellation of the Big Dog, one of the hunting dogs of Orion the Hunter. What I'd like you to do now is scan to your right and towards the east. As you do this, you'll pass the twins of Gemini and the almost invisible constellation of Cancer the Crab. These two are fairly hard to see, but what you'll do as you come across to your right, you'll be able to see a group of stars that looks a little bit like an upside-down question mark. It's not perhaps the most spectacular thing to look at, but 
it is in fact one of the most important constellations named from the northern hemisphere. So down here in the south, well, we see it the wrong way up. The upside down question mark actually represents the chest and the fiery mane of Leo the Lion. Leo is one of the more famous of the zodiac or path of the animals constellations. Leo was thought to represent the lions that left the desert looking for water around the time that the Nile River used to flood, which curiously was also the time when the sun was in that particular constellation. From more modern ancient Greek times, Leo was killed by Hercules as part of his twelve labours and placed into the sky. As long as you can see the question mark, you are well on your way to seeing the rest of his body using the maps I've already discussed. Continue to the east, or to your right, from Leo the Lion, about two handspans away from the tail and one handspan above the ground, you'll be able to see another group of stars that looks a bit like a shopping trolley. What you're actually looking at is Corvus the Crow. According to legend, Corvus was a fairly lazy bird in the service of the god Apollo. Eventually, Apollo lost his temper with the bird and banished him into the sky forever, along with the constellation Crater the Cup, and Hydra the snake. So is it a bird or a shopping trolley? I'll leave it up to you. Have a look at the map and see what you can make out. This raises an interesting point about constellations. In the past they were named after great characters from legends, or heroes and villains and spectacular events that people used to talk about. But they are really, in effect, just a memory aid. To us in modern society, what's going to be more appropriate to look and see a picture of a shopping trolley or a bird? Who knows? Perhaps in the course of time we'll be looking at constellations known as the iPhone, the laptop, the DVD. I don't know, and I certainly hope not, because the old constellations, the official constellations, are somewhat romantic, and they've been around a long time already. Once you've found Corvus, which is pretty much due east at this time of year, continue around to your right, and you'll be heading down towards the southeast fairly low in the southeast, I think you'll be able to see one of the most famous of all southern constellations. It's also the smallest of all 88 official constellations, and that is, of course, Crux, or as most of us call it, the Southern Cross. To most of us, it looks like a traditional Christian cross, but to many people around the world, it's different things. For example, the Maori of New Zealand know it as Tapunga, meaning the anchor. For a truly diverse view of the southern skies and the southern cross, you need to visit the culture of the Australian Aboriginal communities. In Koori astronomy, it represents many different things. To the Khanda of New South Wales near the border of Victoria, it represents the four unmarried daughters of a group elder by the name of Mulalu. He actually watches over them from his vantage point of Alpha Centauri, which is the third brightest star in the night sky, and our next-door neighbour, the closest star to the sun. To other Aboriginal communities, for example, say of Groot Island in the Northern Territory, it represents a stingray swimming along merrily, but unfortunately it's about to be attacked from the side by a shark represented by the two pointer stars, Alpha and Beta Centauri. Although throughout March the Southern Cross is on its side, and in fact slightly upside down, I'd like to point out that even though it looks like the stars are at the same distance, they're not. The closest star of the Southern Cross is Gamma Crucis, and it's about 88 light-years away. 
whereas the second brightest star in the cross, Beta Crucis, is about 525 light years away. Don't forget, a light year is simply the distance that light travels in one year. If you're one of those really pedantic people that love numbers, you can actually work out the length of a light year by calculating the number of seconds in a year and multiplying that by 300,000 kilometres every second. You'll end up with a number which, quite frankly, is very difficult to pronounce. But it works out to be about 9,500 billion kilometres. Now that's just one light year. So for Beta Crucis at 525 light years away, Oh goodness, that is a long, long way. Eventually, in astronomy, we actually come up with another measurement of distance because even light years become too small. The larger unit, the official unit, is called the parsec. And that's a little bit complicated, so perhaps we can leave that for another time. Wrapped around the Southern Cross, although not all that easily seen at the moment, is the fairly large and famous constellation of Centaurus. Half man, half horse. But I think we need to give that constellation another month or two to get slightly higher up into the sky. High in the south, you'll now be able to see the second brightest star in the night sky, Canopus. Canopus is significantly naturally brighter than the brightest star I mentioned earlier, Sirius the dog star. So how come it's only the second brightest? Aha! As I mentioned earlier, distances. Stars are at different distances. Sirius is only 8.7 light years away, whereas Canopus is a lot further at about 310 light years. So, being so far away, and even though it is in fact 20,000 times brighter than the Sun, it still comes in at number 2 as we look at it. Strangely, to some people around the world, particularly fishermen in the northern hemisphere and those from Japan, when they sail from the north into the southern sky, they see this very bright star, Canopus, pop up over the southern horizon. Such a bright and beautiful star makes them feel good. And if you feel good and you're happy, then you tend to live a little bit longer, so legend goes. To the Japanese, the name for this star is Nagaiki, meaning long life. The part of the sky that stretches from the Southern Cross in the southeast up to Canopus High in the south is an absolutely beautiful hunting ground for anyone with a good pair of binoculars. Use them to slowly scan along the night sky, but again, you need them on a tripod or resting on a pillow with a tree fork or something like that, and you'll be able to find lots of interesting objects such as star clusters, and depending upon the sky conditions, even a nebula in the constellation of Carina the Keel where there is a very bright and dying star known as Eta Carina. The Southern Milky Way is one of the more beautiful sights to scan. And the great thing is, in the Southern Hemisphere, we actually get a better view. Now that we've finished looking towards the south, we're going to swing around again to your right a little bit towards the southwest. There's another fairly bright star. It's the tenth brightest star in the night sky, and it's called Achenar. Achenar is the brightest star in the constellation of Eridanus the river. And to some Aboriginal communities, Achenar, along with Canopus, represent the cooking fires of two brothers known as the Kungara brothers. They're also seen as the large and small Magellanic clouds, our nearest visible galactic neighbours. 
These galaxies look like small pieces of the Milky Way that have broken off and drifted a little bit away from the main part of the Milky Way. But in fact, they are entirely separate galaxies to us. Now, you need to be away from city lights, and certainly when there's no moon visible. But if you look up and you see two little island pieces of Milky Way, they are, in fact, the Kumara brothers, the two closest galaxies to us. Highlights for the month of March 2010. Full moon will be on Monday the 1st at 3.38am. Last quarter on Monday the 8th at 2.42am. New moon on Tuesday the 16th at 8.01am. First quarter on Tuesday the 23rd at 10pm. And full moon on Tuesday the 30th at 1.25. Hang on a minute. That's two full moons. Two full moons in the one month we now call the blue moon. This will depend upon your time zone because it can vary from country to country. But for us in 2010, there will be two full moons. And as I've said, the modern definition is that we call the second full moon in one calendar month the blue moon. Please don't expect the moon to change colour. It doesn't. It has no effect on the colour. It is simply the second of two full moons. The autumn equinox will occur on Sunday the 21st at 4.32am. Now equinox simply means equal night. In reality what it's saying is that there are equal amounts of night and day. This is only really true if you're on the equator, but on the 21st, the sun sets due west for everybody. For us in the Southern Hemisphere, this simply means, of course, it is the beginning of autumn. In the Northern Hemisphere, it will be the beginning of spring. So you've got to be very careful not to mix up the older terms, if you like, of autumnal equinox or vernal equinox. For us in the Southern Hemisphere on the Sunday the 21st, it is the autumn equinox, the beginning, of course, of autumn. What this means is effectively you have equal amounts of day and night, but really only if you're on the equator. For anyone at a separate or different latitude further south, you're going to have the same amount of day and night as someone on the equivalent northern latitude. Some of the other highlights for the month of March include viewing of the evening star. Shortly after sunset, as you look towards the west, in the constellation of Aquarius, the water carrier, you'll be able to see a very, very bright object, nearly ten times brighter than the brightest star, Sirius the dog star. It is, of course, the planet Venus, goddess of love and beauty, but very probably the nearest thing that exists to hell in our solar system. You see, our twin planet, our perhaps our ugly twin, it's astoundingly hot. A runaway greenhouse effect has sent the temperature to around 450 degrees. The atmospheric pressure, 90 times what you experience at sea level here, would be enough to squash you onto the ground thinner than a pancake. Goddess of love and beauty? Hmm, a fairly unusual name for such a hostile place. But the thing is, it is astoundingly bright. On the 18th of March, the crescent moon will be just ever so slightly to the right of Venus, making for a rather spectacular view. 
Throughout March, Saturn rises at 8.30 at the start of the month and then by about 6.30 by the end of the month. So look towards the east, towards the constellation of Virgo. Virgo is not exactly the easiest constellation to spot. It does have only just one bright star, a bluish white star called Spica. But what you'll be looking for is a slightly yellowish uh, looking object, and that is the planet Saturn. On the 29th of March, the gibbous moon will be ever so slightly above and to the right of Saturn. The planet Mars, some two months after its best viewing for the next few years, uh, continues to lie between the constellations of Gemini the Twins and Cancer the Crab. On the 25th of March, the moon is above and to the left of Mars. In the morning sky, Jupiter reappears low in the east in the constellation of Aquarius from about the middle of the month onwards. It's very bright, but nowhere near as bright as the setting Venus in the evening sky. That was our monthly sky guide for the month of March provided by Sydney Observatory. For more information, you can check our blog at www.sydneyobservatory.com.au forward slash blog. Don't forget, for a more comprehensive map and details, including times, you can check out the book The Australian Sky Guide by Dr Nick Long. It is available for purchase online or at good bookshops and also the Powerhouse Museum and Sydney Observatory. <laughs>